Hello, my name is Samma Russell, and you're listening to episode 49 of The Place of Sound. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. And for those of you who have been following along through the past few episodes of the show, welcome back. For those of you who happen to be listening for the first time, The Place of Sound is a show that explores the theme of space or the social geography using sound and listening. We do so through a variety of audio media formats, so you can expect to do a few different types of listening in a single show. Episodes consist of what we refer to as audio portraits, or oral history style interviews, that explore the topic of home. Soundscape compositions, which use everyday sounds to communicate the personal and social significance of a given place, And we typically end the episode with a short documentary-style piece that explores the place-based identity of the producer. The aim with these particular projects is to allow the producer to think about the places that made them who they are today. However, in this episode, we're going to do something a little different. We'll still be exploring the theme of sound and listening, but we'll be listening to audio reflections and audio essays. As always, this work was produced by students in the Communication and Media Studies program here at Carleton University, and it responds to the following question. What does it mean to listen? It might seem straightforward enough, but there's literally an infinite number of ways to answer it. Typically, the responses you'll hear are about five minutes in length, and they're delivered in the form of a monologue. The projects that you'll hear in this episode were produced in Comms 5218, Sound, Space, and the City, a graduate-level course in the Communication and Media Studies program. Okay, let's get to listening. In this episode, we'll listen to two audio reflections and one audio essay. The first is an audio reflection by Sarah Salma Marif, titled, Sound is Noisy. The second is also an audio reflection by Emma Johnson, titled Faithfully Blind. And lastly, we'll listen to an audio essay by Jen Sushan Xian, titled I'm Afraid of Silence, the relationship between silence and mental illness in a loud and vibrant world. Let's begin with Sarah's audio reflection. Sarah, over to you. What does it mean to listen? According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, to listen means to pay attention to sound, to hear something with thoughtful attention, and finally, to be alert to catch an expected sound. Is that really all that is? I think we can define this verb in a multitude of ways. This dictionary offers three ways of defining it. What if we look at it through different perspectives? In his book entitled, The Tuning of the World, Raymond Murray Schaefer, a Canadian composer and ecologist, offers a history of the soundscape in which the world is becoming louder with the advent of industrialization and the development of technology. He offers a romantic history, one that romanticizes the pastoral soundscape. For him, we have lost some of the old sounds that used to exist. Schaefer writes that we are now suffering from an overabundance of acoustic information and we have forgotten to listen to sounds. I wonder then, what does it mean to listen? 
I tried to answer this question and I could not formulate one specific answer to it. I decided to try it myself and experiment with listening. It is 11.41pm and everyone is asleep. I'm in my house, in my room, all alone, trying to figure out how to answer this question. Everyone is asleep, so that means there is no sound in my room, right? I looked up online for a decibel meter to measure the sounds in my room. I closed my door, turned my lights off, stopped typing, and turned the decibel meter on. I clicked and waited. I couldn't hear a thing, but somehow the tool registered 53 decibels. What does this mean? Where was this noise coming from? I decided to change the decibel meter and use another one. Maybe this one might register zero. To my great surprise, it registered once again 53 decibels. I tried to do it while holding my breath. Still, no difference. How was this possible? Outside, it wasn't snowing. There was no wind blowing. It was not even raining. So, what was it? Maybe ghosts? Then it clicked. I was witnessing the sound of silence. Is the absence of sound a sound? I've always thought of listening in the sense of hearing a noise or a sound, but what about the sound of silence? Does silence really exist? Schaefer reveals the notion of the anechoic chamber. Imagine being put in a room that is completely silent. What do we hear? Nothing? No! Because at that moment we become aware of the sounds of our own body, such as the blood circulating through our veins, our breathing, or even the sound of our molecules in constant regeneration. Now, if we've established that silence is a sound, I'm wondering how does a hard-of-hearing person experience silence as a sound? One of the things that was not in Schaefer's text was this perspective. What happens if they sit in a soundproof room and there is no audible sound? Can they hear the sounds of their own body? I wonder, do they experience silence as only silence, or do they experience it as sound? This shows the relativity of silence. Who defines silence? For example, anti-noise legislation shows us what sounds and moments society deems are accessible. Why can we hear our heartbeat if we are outside of the anechoic chamber, like when I was in my room listening? Sensory deprivation can be extremely disorienting and can even be used to cause harm. We can think of the white noise torture used on detainees, a psychological torture where all of their senses are taken away. Imagine that. This is done through the absence of sound. In other words, silence. No natural light, no human contact. This could also be seen when prisoners are held in solitary confinement. Whereas the sound of silence can be seen as relaxing, relieving, it can also cause great pain. However, Throughout this audio, I only talked about listening to physical matter, but what about our inner thoughts? Some people are unable to sit and listen to the sound of silence as their thoughts cause them harm. This absence of noise allows one to listen to what their body needs and what it wants without uttering a single word. Listening has an intrinsic power. Why do we need to listen? With the sounds becoming more and more loud, we need to take the time to listen to the few moments of silence we get. We have to be aware of the sounds that are happening around us and inside of us. 
Schaefer contributed to a greater awareness of sound and listening in everyday life. And his approach still provides a strong starting point for contemporary studies of sound or sound culture. Now, I will ask you to listen. Shh. Can you hear the silence? Now we'll listen to Emma's audio reflection. Emma? We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. As Canadians experience long winters, vast distances, and a fragmented population, the communication provided by Canadian radio was, from the very beginning, very crucial. Radio broadcasting was not only a principal source of entertainment, but it also linked citizens to the world outside of their homes and helped to develop a sense of community. Radio as a medium helps listeners feel less isolated and more connected to their community. In times of emergency and disaster, radio broadcasting is one of the most powerful and effective ways of delivering early warnings. Timely, relevant, and practical information supports effective response measures and saves lives. For people directly affected, it comes as a vital form of humanitarian assistance. That's why we have faith in this medium. The content produced and communicated is always timely, honest, and reliable. This old medium reflects my answer to the question, what does it mean to listen? Being in mind, Alejandra Bronfman's text, Isle of Noise, throughout this discussion, when I hear the question, what does it mean to listen, I think it means to be faithfully blind. For listeners who aren't quite familiar with Alejandra Bronfman, according to the University of Albany, New York's website, Alejandra is a chair, professor, and director of undergraduate studies, Latin American, Caribbean and U.S. Latino studies, and has research interests in 20th century Caribbean and Latin America, imperial and transnational history, violence and the production of knowledge, histories of race, broadcasting, sound, listening, and sonic archives, as well as histories of ethnography. Early in Chapter 6 of Isle of Noise, Bronfman introduces the concept of fidelity and defines its many meanings. On page 118, she states that one meaning involves faithfulness and reproduction. Recorded or broadcast sound hovers in the space between replication and distortion, and to listen means, in part, to be conscious of that space. With regard to radio, the question of fidelity extends in a different direction as well as toward the delivery of information or news. A public listening for news must have faith that what they are hearing is true, and the episodes in this chapter indicate high stakes for transactions involving listening publics, media, and news. As listeners have such faithfulness in radio as a medium, many times listeners do not reflect on what stories are being shared and which are not being brought to light. This is the case with many Indigenous stories not being covered in Canada. It's either news outlets fail to cover critical stories in regards to Indigenous peoples in Canada, or Indigenous peoples are horribly misrepresented. One of the many harms inflicted by the media's misrepresentation of Indigenous people is a result of the educational role of the press. In the recommended reading, Hungry Listening, Resonant Theory for Indigenous Sound Studies, 
Author Dylan Robinson discusses the process of disciplinary redress in musicology and music history writing on Indigenous music, which can also be applied to radio and radio stories. Robinson states that central to this process of disciplinary redress is both the examination of colonial inheritances that structure a given discipline as well as reckoning with how certain areas of research are delegitimated within that discipline. One aspect of comprehensive redress in musicology involves assessing the normative epistemic violence of writing about music. In contrast, more granular reassessments of musicological and music history writing on Indigenous music might start by redressing the depoliticized history of writing about art music in Canada more generally. The influence of colonialism in mainstream media and radio journalism is pervasive, and there is a clear and obvious gap in lack of Indigenous representation within our nation's largest radio broadcaster. Since European contact, the colonial narrative has dominated Indigenous stories, language, and cultures. Indigenous stories have been told through a settler colonial lens and do not have a comprehensive understanding of the subject matters it portrays. This is problematic for many reasons. However, the other issue also exists of Indigenous stories being ignored and dismissed. According to Andreas Krebs, in the academic article Reproducing Colonialism, Subject Formation, and Talk Radio in English Canada, the assemblage of colonialism does not exist independently of its social production. One way that colonialism in contemporary Canada is produced through interaction with the media. Listening to the radio should not be conceived of as a passive exercise in absorbing information for deliberation. The listener engages with the sounds emitted from the radio, producing conscious and unconscious mental and physical states, interpreting meaning linguistically, characters, personalities, speakers, and situations visually, and forging effective linkages between radio discourse and lived experience. However, it's misleading to engage listeners when the words admitted from the radio misrepresent stories and ignore critical news about issues within communities. When I hear the question, what does it mean to listen? It means to be faithfully blind. Canadians have great trust in the medium, the radio, as it is listener-focused and disseminates trusted news stories to citizens around the country. However, with that trust comes the blindfold of what is not being shared with listeners. Even with some stories that are shared, it is critical to think about the framings of these stories and to think about whose voices are left out. Now on to the last project of the episode, Jen's audio essay. How do you feel when you sit in silence? Do you feel a presence of solitude, tranquility, and inner peace? Do you feel comfortable and at ease? Or do you find yourself on edge? that you are suffocating, and that you are, in some way, in jeopardy. It is often the latter for many people who have lived experience with traumatic and negative life events, including psychological distress and mental illness. As a result, sitting in silence is incredibly unnerving and uncomfortable. Generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety disorder, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, and sedatophobia 
are all examples of mental health disorders which establish a fear of silence to some degree or another in an individual. This includes a fear of awkward silence, a fear of silence itself, as well as a yearning for constant noise. Essentially, I argue that the relationship between the fear of silence and mental illness produces necessary distractions from an individual's emotions and thoughts via a soundscape and also contributes to disruptions in the public sphere due to a lack of social engagement and active listening on behalf of the individual. Silence is generally avoided by those living with post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, since it can elicit negative thoughts, as well as anguish and dread in response to sudden and unwanted memories of a traumatic life event. Mark Grant is the Director of Trauma and Pain Management Services at the University of Canberra in Australia. In 2019, Grant published an article on his website, Sleep Restore Based on Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing, EMDR, Overcome the Stress That is Keeping You Awake. Grant stated in his article that his clients, who are living with PTSD, pay attention to and actively seek out distracting aural stimuli in their own living spaces, such as their bedrooms, to assist them in drowning out negative thoughts and to halt overthinking, particularly at night. It is suggested that they are doing this in an effort to avoid experiencing intrusive thoughts and memories while they are falling asleep. For instance, Grant stated that many of his clients are unable to fall asleep without the aural distraction of their television or smartphone. This is because the noise from a video, for example, such as a late night talk show or a podcast emanated by these electronic devices, tricks their brains into thinking they are not falling asleep alone. Therefore, the soundscape created by such technological devices in these individuals' bedrooms serves as a form of acoustic comfort for one's continuous thoughts and feelings of fear, disbelief, rage, irritability, and terror. At the same time, Grant noted that natural sounds played via a television or a smartphone periodically throughout the night, such as white noise, underwater ambience, and rain ambience, can assist in providing aural comfort or distraction in a silent room, but it is not necessarily the be-all and end-all solution. Furthermore, an individual can also use their environment soundscape, such as the soundscape of their apartment, as an auditory therapeutic diversion from alarming and distressing emotions, feelings, and sensations when they arise. According to Crystal Raypole, a freelance writer for Healthline, grounding is a technique that can assist an individual in detaching themselves from flashbacks, painful recollections, and unwanted or stressful thoughts in order to regain their focus on the present moment. Listening to a handful of things that occur in an individual's apartment, for example, is an aural strategy for grounding. This includes listening to a dog barking and skidding across the floor of a neighbor's upstairs apartment, car and trucks honking on the neighboring streets, police sirens echoing in the distance, as well as a leaky faucet in the kitchen. In addition, according to an article published on December 2nd, 2022 by The Pleasant Mind, those living with sedatophobia are unable to tolerate silence. In other words, individuals require constant noise and engagement. 
It is also suggested that sedataphobia coexists with people who have experienced traumatic or negative life events, although this does not always imply that they are living with a mental health disorder such as PTSD. According to the Pleasant Mind, technology, including that of smartphones, televisions, and other electronic devices, as well as the establishment of city life along with its nightlife aspect, has led people to constantly crave being around noise, and has ultimately led to that of noise addiction. For instance, it was noted that some individuals are unable to sit quietly for a five-minute period because they are constantly in need of some kind of noise to encase them. This includes music from a Bluetooth speaker, a phone notification, a conversation taking place nearby, or even background noise from a television, radio, tablet, or a laptop. In order to establish a healthier relationship between an individual and silence, and thus not have them solely rely on a soundscape to drown out their negative emotions and thoughts due to their lived experience, exposure therapy can assist an individual in becoming acclimated to silence and thus address the fear itself. According to the Clinical Practice Guidelines for the Treatment of Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder, Systematic desensitization can be used as an exposure therapy practice in which an individual learns to identify silence with comfort and relaxation. As per the Calm Clinic, a website dedicated to providing reliable information about anxiety and mental health, many people living with generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety disorder, and attention deficit hyperactivity disorder ADHD, have a fear of awkward silence because they are afraid of being judged and rejected by those with whom they are communicating. Individuals with such lived experience, as described by O'Sullivan Counseling, also have a fear of awkward silence, where they overthink and worry about what they have just said in a conversation if the person does not respond the way they expected them to. For example, a Reddit commenter living with social anxiety disorder described that they fear awkward silence because they do not want to come across as boring or awkward when they are speaking to their peers, coworkers, or loved ones. On March 21, 2015, Yu Treyeye posted in the thread R Introvert where they stated that, quote, I am pretty sure I'm introverted, but I have also got social anxiety, which has definitely improved from how it was a few years ago. Because of these factors, I sometimes find it hard to start or maintain a conversation with people I encounter regularly, e.g. work colleagues and certain family members. If there is a purpose to the conversation, e.g. work-related, then it is not as much of an issue. But once the important bit passes, it is the small talk and how to end the conversation which I struggle with. This often leads to awkward silences, and although I would rather keep quiet and end the conversation, I feel pressured into saying something even though I do not want to, in fear of coming across dull or awkward. I also find myself sometimes pretending or acting when conversing in order to keep this conversation going, which I really hate doing as it makes me feel fake and it is something I hate when other people do it too. I then criticize myself for pretending to be someone I am not, and it just makes me feel horrible." End quote. Another Reddit commenter described how they experience bouts of hyperfocus as a result of their social anxiety, which inevitably leads to negative thoughts and that of passive listening. On April 8, 2021, Yu Stone Mermaid posted in the thread R Social Skills, where they stated that, quote, 
I hyperfocus on my own interactions, which makes me feel unnatural. I have phases of intense social anxiety and phases where I breeze through social interactions with loads of confidence. But when I am feeling anxious, I become so aware of the things I am saying and doing, constantly thinking, am I being weird? I need to get my act together. I need to say something funny now. If I don't say something funny, no one's going to like me. I need to get comfortable, but I feel like a robot and everyone can see through me. End quote. An additional Reddit commenter explained how living with ADHD causes them to hyperfocus on their interpersonal interactions, and this leads them to avoid engaging with others out of fear of embarrassment and rumination. According to Dinah Skolin, a licensed clinical professional counselor at the OCD and Anxiety Center in Illinois, rumination is the process of repeating in one's mind endless negative thoughts, including replaying negative experiences. Rumination, as Skolin points out, can be agonizing, exhausting, and difficult to stop. On July 13, 2018, U Wonderlich posted in the thread R ADHD where they stated that, quote, I just ignore people that approach me out of the sheer terror that I'll say something weird or misunderstand what they say and look like an idiot, which just ends up making me seem like a jerk. The fear of social discomfort and humiliation is so powerful and deeply ingrained in me that it has always been the biggest obstacle I face in life. People tell me, so what if the interaction is awkward and you embarrass yourself? It's not the end of the world. But to me it is, because I will torture myself ruminating about it for weeks, months, and even years later. My inner monologue is literally me repeating things like, OMG, why did you say that? They're going to think you're stupid. He thinks you're a bully. Don't make eye contact or they'll think that you want to talk to them. Don't ask them to repeat what they said because you'll look like an idiot. Just pretend you understand so you can get away. It's an utterly exhausting and miserable way to live, and it prevents me from asserting myself. End quote. According to Kate Lacey, author of Listening Publics, The Politics and Experience of Listening in the Media Age, quote, listeners actively constitute the public. They are not mere bystanders. They are not members of a public by virtue of their mere presence or by virtue of their identity. They are members of a public by virtue of the act of listening, by the active decision to participate in the discursive address. A public is contingent on there being people willing to actively take up that address to listen. The agency of a public rests on this act of will to be addressed, this active mode of attention, end quote. Individuals become mere bystanders when they become overly focused on their own thoughts and, as a result, close themselves off to discourse for fear of awkward silence, embarrassment, judgment, and rejection. The entire interpersonal interaction fails because they are passively listening and are not paying any attention or giving any respect to the speaker. At the same time, as Lacey points out, such dialogue is not equal, as there is no equal exchange. Because these individuals are so focused on themselves and their own negative thoughts, they are not aware of the response and dialogue going on around them. They are completely immersed in their own inner discourse. As a result, there is no public discussion and neither participants have equal speaking status. The public sphere cannot exist in any real shape or form. Victor Sanders, a counselor specializing in interpersonal communication relationships, encourages people to practice mindfulness, accept silence and understand that it has a purpose in all conversations, and stop believing silence is a failure in all conversations. 
At the end of the day, it is about learning to be self-confident in order to be calm and comfortable, making silence a friend rather than an enemy in life, as well as establishing healthy and equal discourse in society. Thank you, Sarah, Emma, and Jen for sharing your projects with us. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Place of Sound. If you're interested in checking out more, have a look at theplaceofsound.ca, where you're not only able to hear more audio media, but in some cases, to see some of the original photos and the writing that students produce to go along with it. There's also a featured work section on the site's blog, where you can access some notable individual projects, and in the classes section, you can have a look at some of the work produced in each of the previous semesters. But in the meantime, keep your ear out for upcoming episodes of the show, which air on CKCU Radio every other Monday at 6.30pm, and are available wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, thank you for listening to The Place of Sound.